Welcome to the CoLab, the only podcast for business owners who are committed to growth through the power of collaboration and teamwork. Get ready to put your heads together to boost your business to the next level with your hosts, the ultimate team players, Megan Marsh and Andre Munar. All right. Hey, CoLab listeners. Welcome back to the CoLab podcast. This is Megan Marsh here with my co-host, Andre Munar. And today we are going to be talking all about selling and the sales process that you create and that you use in your business. And let's be honest, the only way that a service business can grow is through selling more. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we have had an episode on different techniques to increase sales, some of which you know, we brought up some different ideas on increasing your pricing or adding another product. But at the end of the day, if you own and run a service business, you still need to be able to sell that service. You need to be able to influence, to earn trust, build confidence in the relationships that you are going to have with this person. And I think the most challenging thing when you're selling a service is that you are selling yourself and or your team and the process you created. And I, you know, when I think about selling a product, you know, a product sometimes can, you know, it, it takes the attention off of you and it spotlights like this thing that's tangible, you know, visually that people can picture, but a service, it's not tangible. And unless you make it tangible and you sell the benefits and what you do to make their lives better, easier to help them uh, keep more money, you know, a number of things. You know, it really comes down to what you do well. And for some people, that's really hard to do to talk about yourself and and how you can make their lives better. So today, uh, Megan and I are interviewing a business owner who's just like us uh, and many as many and many of you. um, And she sells a service. She sells her knowledge just like we do. You know, knowledge is something that I think some of us take for granted, like, you know, how, how you can sell your knowledge and your expertise and the years of work that you've done, right? And and some people don't understand that that you know you've been through the grind. Um, so today we want to welcome sales expert Ryan Dowdy, who is the co-founder of the Daily Sales on Demand for CEO system used inside of the Social Sellers Academy. Um, and her main mission is really to help entrepreneurs and CEOs create seven and eight figure sales systems. Who doesn't uh, like that? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and to build legendary teams and inside of an organization, uh, which I think is absolutely incredible. And there's a huge need for that. So today, we want to welcome Ryan. Ryan, are you there? I am here. Yes. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Ryan, let's get right into it. So you have 15 years of experience in the corporate world. And you've gone from a sales rep, right, which is normally the path people take as they take all that the sales rep to individual contributor uh, to director of sales. And now you're the CEO of Uncensored Consulting and the CEO of and co-founder of Social Sellers Academy. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey in the corporate world? Megan and I dabbled in the corporate world for one year. <laughs> uh, that was and it. We, <laughs> and that was it. And we left. And can you, you know, can you tell us a little bit about your journey there? You know, what made you leave it? What made you decide to start your own business? Kind of walk us through that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again, guys, for um, the opportunity. And I'm excited about uh, a good conversation. So I got into sales totally on accident. Um, I graduated college and I had interned in a, in a PR firm, in a public relations firm. And I really thought that's what I wanted to do. And I had relocated from New York uh, to Orlando, Florida. And there are not a lot of PR firms in Orlando, Florida. It's not a calculated move on my 21-year-old self, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and so I couldn't find a job in PR, but there were a lot of sales jobs. So I actually took a job selling radio advertising when I was 21 years old. Um, and I quickly learned that like sales and PR weren't really that different, except for when somebody said yes in sales, I got paid commission. And I was like, Ooh, this is fun. Um, so that's kind of how it started. And I rose through the ranks. As you shared, I started it in sales just as an individual contributor going out, closing business. Um, and then learned that I really love to train and coach and build. So my career grew. Mm-hmm. I, I eventually made it from traditional media to digital media, um, was selling digital marketing solutions and really fell in love with the startup space. I found that I really had a thing for building sales organizations, for making them run, for making them profitable. Um, 
And I eventually made it to director of sales. I finally thought I was going to get to like build my own team. And I went back to work after having my son, um, who's now four and a half. And I just didn't love it. And I was like, well, shoot, what am I going to do now? <laughs> and it didn't actually occur to me to become an entrepreneur. Like I'm always fascinated by like full-time entrepreneurs. Like those of you that are like, yeah, no, the corporate world, what? I'm like, is that a thing? Do people do that? Um, it just never occurred to me because I was in control of my income. Like I, I had a good gig. Um, and so I thought I was going to have to change industries or just, you know, pick a different path. And I kept meeting people who were business owners and all of, not all of them, but a lot of their businesses were struggling. And I was like, what's happening here? Like, these are smart people. These are capable people. These are people that could provide excellent services. And it goes back so much to Megan, what you said at the beginning is so many people struggle to sell themselves. We don't, um, we don't look at ourselves, right? And right. Yeah. So that's where it started. And I was like, wait, what? That's a thing like people struggle with this so it immediately was like i can solve this problem and so that was the problem i started solving and it evolved a couple of times and my first iteration of business if you will was um, helping brand new entrepreneurs uh, leave their their full-time jobs once i was able to do that um and again i was breadwinner in my family like i had a great salary but i was able to replace it uh had another baby in the midst of all of that um and started helping women do the same thing right um start businesses do work that they really loved and enjoyed and then over time, I kept getting asked about training sales teams. Like, can you train my salesperson? Or I'd have salespeople be like, well, can I join your program? And I'm like, eh, it's a little too entrepreneur focused. And so uh, my business partner and I, I, I'm the co-founder of the Academy. I work with Kelly Roach, who at the time was my business coach. And I was like, I think there's something happening here in the market. Like people keep asking me for this. I don't think it's an arm of my business, Like, but there's something happening. And she's like, we've had people asking us to train sales teams for years. We just haven't had the time and the bandwidth to do it. And so I, I joke all the time that it was like a handful of phone calls and a Google document and Social Sellers Academy was born. And we thought it was kind of going to be a side hustle for both of us. Um, I was going to run my business. Kelly was going to run hers and the academy would grow. And anybody who's grown a business said, that's not actually how that works. So <laughs> I made the choice to retire my program and step into the full-time role as um, as the CEO of the academy. So now we work with seven and you know eight-figure entrepreneurs on building and training their sales teams that are leveraging social media as their primary sales tool. Right. Which I, I have some questions in here about this. And Andre knows I'm probably like, hopefully I, I Andre, just interrupt me if I, <laughs> if I drone you out here because, um, you know, I didn't realize, I don't even think I knew that I was in sales uh, for 10 years. Like, honestly, right. I, you know, we, we own a mortgage company and right. um, Andre and I both became these really big producing salespeople in our industry. And I didn't really understand. I mean, like I knew I did sales fully commission based. Um, and But what I started realizing once I understood that that's what I was good at with sales and that Mm -hmm. You know, I just learned through error. I never got training my first. I worked at a small company who sure. didn't invest in marketing, sales, anything. Never trained us, just learned on my own through failing and, you know, figuring out what I needed to do. So it's really intrigued me ever since I figured it out a couple of years ago. Uh -huh. And you, I think you said it here and I've heard you say this in one of your podcasts is that, you know, women especially, uh -huh. you notice we're struggling to grow their sales or what they considered sales. And also like you had never thought about being an entrepreneur. And these are just like these things that I, I, I see as well, right? Like uh -huh. we struggle more to get women to come on, to be uh, loan officers, to be a hundred percent commission based. I literally, my husband had to walk into the company I worked for and tell the owner that I was going commission based. I had to get fired to become an entrepreneur and I was made for it. I am good at it. I know what I'm doing. I, I'm such an entrepreneurial minded person, but you know, if you work with a lot of women in your program, why do you think that is? What, what is it with us women that we kind of like, I don't want to sell. I don't want to sell, or I don't want to take that risk. So let's tackle the sales piece first and then the risk piece second, right? So the sales piece, I think it's, it's perception, Megan, honest answer. Like I always say like, there are very few movies where a, like salespeople are portrayed in a positive light and then B, they're always dudes. Like think of, a sales role, like sales lead in a movie or on television or whatever, it's, it's all men. Um, think of who you have bought things from, you know, car sales, um, different things like that, typically men, right? Uh, and so I think a lot of it, A, is perception. Like, oh, this is something that men do. Um, so there's that. And then two, I think that the way that we position sales, um, I was even talking to someone recently 
um, we, you know, we're constantly funnel hacking other sales training organizations because that's what we do. And there's one guy, his, the name of his business is literally called like the sales sniper. And sorry to that dude, but I'm like, what is happening? Like the, when you describe what you do as a sniper, like you're, you're gearing, you're targeting yourself to a specific person. And I mean, I see it all the time. It's always dude and bro and like all this other stuff. So the marketing around sales is, is geared towards men. Job descriptions are about people that are being aggressive and hungry and hunters and competitive and all these different things. The words that we use to describe those roles, there's not a lot of women out there that identify with that, right? Like, I don't know if I had actually read the job description, if I would have applied and I actually am all of those. You know, that's so so funny because Megan and I talk about that. We're we're two different personalities and we get along so well. Megan would apply for that job that says aggressive, like, and I would... I would not. I would apply for the job that says passionate, <laughs> loves people. Like you're so right. They eat like, me. <laughs> I'm. I'm just now putting that together because I don't consider myself a salesperson. I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm totally the soft seller. Like I like mm-hmm. building relationships and like. That's so funny you say that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's the big reason why women avoid it. Um, it's also you know I think it's a it, other situations we've been in right. We've been in situations where salespeople were pushy and we've been in that environment when we didn't like or appreciate and because most salesmen, salespeople are men, statistically that person who put us in that situation was a dude. Um, not knocking men. I think men are incredible salespeople. I just think it's the way that we approach it and the way that we market it. And then from the risk piece, I just recently learned this randomly at church. Um, you know, I'm a high D if disc is your jam. I am a high D. And I learned that actually only 3% of the population are actually D's. And that like 69% of the population are S's and S stands for steady. So like as a population, we are all risk adverse, right? Mm-hmm. 70% of the world is risk adverse. They, they don't want that. So I think it's men and women alike when it comes to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. But you know, with women, it's not only do I have to put myself out there in a way that's uncomfortable. Um, I have to do something that involves me being somebody who I'm not. And then I have to take a risk. And when you stack all those things up, most women are like, nah, I'm out. Mm, no, I think that's really interesting. And I'm like thinking of other questions because we hire salespeople and mm-hmm. it's been something that has been super interesting that we can go into here uh, yeah. in the show because our industry traditionally doesn't do a lot of sales training. Uh, mm-hmm. Andre and I invest in it, but figuring out which sales training and figuring out also what salespeople are right for our organization because I mean, Dre, am I correct? Like we were taught to look for people that are high D's or high, really high I's. And same as you, I'm a 97 D. I'm very high D. Yep. And, you know, but not a lot of the people that we've dissed out have been. And it's like, we feel like we're passing up on people that I think could excel if we spoke to them the right way. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, I would love to hear just a little bit more about that before yeah. I ask you one of the other questions I had. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly. So we do this. So we, we did not set out to recruit salespeople. Um, we set out to train them and, but it came a need from so many people that were like, I don't just need you to train them for me. Like I need you to find them. They, I, they, I don't know how to, I don't know how to write the job description. I don't know what to do. I don't have time to, to screen these people and, and all the other stuff. So we've been doing some recruiting here recently and we've actually considered like no longer including the disc results because again, people are looking at the disc and they're disqualifying people that through our process, our human to human process in our conversations, we make them submit a video. We make them fill out um, like a questionnaire. We interview them in person three different times. We've identified them as excellent candidates and then their assessments come back and we're like, eh, maybe not. Um, so we've actually like literally talked about just not including the disc assessment in the, um, in like what we send over because it is causing some concern for people when they're like, well, but they don't, their profile says, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like it's, we're all humans. If you can figure out what we, you know, what we value and what we want, you can motivate someone. Um, so I mean, I see both sides of it. I think it's helpful in knowing like how to manage someone, but I, I do think that if you put all your eggs in that basket. So now when we submit our candidates to our clients, we will tell them like, we know that their disc says this, here's what we saw that made us feel like this person was still worth your time. Like we're even like, we've been putting in that disclaimer. So people don't get frustrated by well, these people don't fit the criteria. No, that's really interesting. 
because we're, yeah. we're dealing with that right right now, yeah. with the types of tests we're using. And there's a different one that we've started using that's more not just about the personality type, but the actions that they will take. Uh-huh. Um, but it's still that test, I would say, is missing. You, you just said it, like what drives them or what will motivate them? Because I think anyone can be motivated and can do a great job if the motivation and the reasoning behind it and what they believe in is there. Yep. Um. 100%. I agree with all that. And so one other thing I noticed on your website that really interests me that I wanted to understand and have our listeners understand is uh, a section on your website said, you know, hiring your first or your next social seller. And you mm-hmm. brought that up too. And, mm-hmm. you know, that owners hired the wrong people for this position. And as a business owner, I want to understand what a social seller is and why business owners need this and, and how they get it wrong. Yeah. Great question. So the way I, I view it is, you know, there's coming from a traditional corporate background, there's inside sales, there's outside sales, and now there's social sales, mm-hmm. right? And really mm-hmm. the big thing is, is what's their primary tool that they're using to connect and build relationships. So to mm-hmm. me, a social seller is just a salesperson, but they're leveraging social media primarily rather than the phone, then email, then in-person, then all of those other things. So, mm-hmm. and the reason that we have leaned into that term is the majority of our clients are online entrepreneurs. Um, primarily they, they function, their business functions, you know, 100% online, um, you know, whether they're coaches, consultants, agency owners, um, et cetera. And so social media is their primary tool. Um, and so that's why we've really leaned into using that term. We don't just teach, you know, strategies that can only be used on social media. You know, our goal is to leverage social media to build a relationship and get somebody onto the phone or into a Zoom call um, and, and to sell them in that way or to have that that conversation um, in that way. So that's kind of the first thing that just to, to answer your first question. And the second part of your question, Megan, is where do people go wrong? And there's a few different places um, I feel like people go wrong. First and foremost, I feel like we go wrong in thinking that experience equals success. I hear a lot of people that are like, well, I really, I really need to hire an experienced sales rep or I hired an experienced sales rep and it didn't work out. Um, because we make the assumption that, oh, because they are experienced, because they've done this before, that they can do this for me without a lot of support, without a lot of training, without a lot of resources. And as you and Andre have discovered, you guys are unicorns that you were able to make that work. But my guess is you saw more people fall out than you know, move that then that we're successful. So that's one thing is is we we are taking experience. Um and then the second thing I think go wrong is we treat salespeople differently than other employees. We don't give them a lot of resources to be successful. We don't give them a lot of training. Um, we expect them to just kind of figure it out on their own. Uh, you know, almost every other role in your organization has like, you know, standard operating procedures and training and you know KPIs and metrics. And then we're like What's your sales team doing? And like, well, the goal is to close two deals a week. And it's like, cool. How are they going to do that? And we're like, I don't know. We're just going to close two deals a week. Um, and so I see that those two things happen is we think that experience equals success and that we think that for some reason, because sales is typically commission based, because it is somebody who, you know, does operate a little bit more autonomously than a lot of in office roles, um, or, you know, more admin style roles that we don't give that person the same structure and support and guidance than we would a salesperson. Than we would, I'm sorry, another role in the company. And that is the mortgage industry in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been so hard for us because we never had any, right? We, we never had any role models showing us how to help our people. Like, right. you know, it's just been a very interesting experience. Besides, we, you know, and we're young, our company is young into bringing salespeople on. And we're teaching them all the things that have worked for us, that we've learned how to do, that we've self-learned, that we've just everything. And and some of them are doing really well taking what we're teaching them. Um, and some of them are not. But I'm, I kind of tend to think after what you said, some of that might be because, you know, and we, Andre, we're learning something else right now. Like we always say, you sell on social really well. I do not. Uh, I can pick up the phone and and slay it, right? Like, right. And that just shows how different we are and how different our group of people are going to be. And I think the challenge then, if I don't know if you would agree, Brian, is that how do you come up as an owner with a program to help serve everyone and what they need? What was that? I'm sorry. How do we do what? How do you come up with like training or what they need if they're all very different on where they'd be successful? Sure. That's a really good question. I mean, for me, I would, if I, if I were to run an organization where I had different types of salespeople, 
um, and I wasn't recruiting for one thing in particular, I would customize parts of their training, right? Like I think there's parts of sales training that are all the same. But I mean, I would train the outside salesperson differently than the inside salesperson, right? Like, and I would train that differently than the social salesperson. Just to your point, some people kill it, some people don't. But I think sales fundamentals as a whole are all the same, right? Like I think solving problems, building relationships, building rapport, all of those things are the same. So I think that that stays. But the nuances of being out in person and shaking hands and how to work at a networking event or, you know, how to go to a you know, um, a, a, an event of some kind and, and network in a way that's not sleazy and slimy, it's going to be a little bit different than the person who's pounding the phones. And it's going to look a little different than it does on social. So I think it's just those nuanced things get siloed out. But, you know, sales as a whole, our mission as a company, our values as a company are, are, are the same. Um, but, you know, our outside salespeople, maybe, you know, this is, again, you, you've asked, my, my brain is going to work solving this problem as I talk. Like, I would each week have a different... Like it would be like, okay, our, our inside sales folks, like we're going to train them this week and then next week it's our outside and the next week it's our social folks. And then we're continuing to, you know, rotate that specific type of training um, for that specific person. And then there's always the, you know, the company wide, the sales team wide training and resources that are available to everyone. Cause I do agree that there's nuances in each, um, you know, how to, how to make an effective cold call actually looks very different than sending an effect, different, you know, type of cold message, which is very different than pulling a door at a business, right? Like your approach to that would all be very different. Um, but again, once you got in the door, it would all be very similar. No, but it, it honestly, it's just very interesting because as you've even said some of this stuff, like we're, we're training all of our people and we're doing it the same way, no matter what the position is, no matter what their strength is. And this, you know, just even makes me think on, you know, how we're training. We probably shouldn't even be mm-hmm. training our people, first of all. But, yeah. you know, and that's a hard, I think it's a hard thing for people like Andre and I, who were really good salespeople, because you have all this success, you bring salespeople on and you want them to do as well as you did, but it doesn't always happen. Sometimes mm-hmm. it does, right? Maybe if it's the right person clicks with what we did. Um, but I think, you know, I think more people are going to need what you guys are doing because our business was always face to face before people would come in into the office and meet me to go over. And now everything's really starting to turn more online. And I think even, I think our industry is going to need more social selling, which I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely just, I'm here for this conversation, Ryan, just everything that you're saying. I'm like, is she, is she specifically talking about the mortgage industry? But I guess at the end of the day, sales is sales, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, th- there's a baseline for sales and uh-huh. regardless of your organization. Um, and I really love that you broke it down in the three types of, of sellers because that mm-hmm. is so true. I'm very much a social seller. I mean, I hit social media every day, three times a week, like right. outward facing. And then every once in a while, I'm like, Hey, by the way, I do mortgages. Don't forget. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love social selling and you know, you're definitely making us think in regards to training our people. And I can really, really, really sense your passion. Like I love your energy. Um, and so you're super passionate. Um, and so why are you so passionate about CEOs having high performing sales teams? Like what, 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 what is that passion that, you know, that, that drives you for, um, organizations to have that? Yeah. So this is where we might pivot a little differently than sales, than mortgage, like the mortgage industry. Cause the mortgage industry, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Like it's not unusual to have salespeople in the mortgage industry, right? Like most, a lot of mortgage companies, the decent size, right? Obviously when you're new, it's you guys, but eventually you hire a sales team and you expect to do that. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Right. Okay. Yep. In online entrepreneurship, that's not always the case that it's not always just like, yeah, this is what we do. We grow our business and then we hire a team and all. like, there's not a lot of that being discussed. And what I keep finding or what Kelly and I were finding is that these people, they would grow super fast, right? They'd make it to, you know, multiple six, seven figure businesses, but they'd be burned out. They'd be frustrated and they would be the primary revenue driver in the business. And so these business owners would come to us and they'd be like, well, yeah, we make money, but if I go on vacation, we're dead in the water, right? Like if I'm not taking sales calls, we have no way to grow. And because it's not taught like it is in the mortgage industry, like it is in, you know, the industries I grew up in to like, yeah, go hire a sales team so you can go on vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, that's the point here. Uh, that's the point of the exercise. So, um, for me, I'm just really passionate about you that you don't have to be an individual contributor forever. Like you don't have to be the primary revenue driver in your business. And I think that so many people would 
A, I think businesses would grow faster. And this is my hot button about serving women specifically. The data tells us that only 10% of female-owned businesses uh, make it to six figures and only 2% make it to seven. And I think, yeah. Um, And I think that if we actually armed people with this information and we're like, well, yeah, no, of course it's hard to get to seven figures by yourself. Like, yeah. But most people burn out and they quit because it's hard. Instead of being like, well, if you support yourself with the right team and you put the infrastructure in your business and stop treating it and actually treat it like a company instead of, you know, you um, being a, a business, like it can't just be a business for you. It has to become a company. And I think that the more people that we teach that to, um, it, you know, it supports our economy in a million different ways. It creates, you know, jobs for a lot of people that get to do cool and different things that they enjoy. I just think everybody wins in that scenario. Um, so my passion comes from serving that person where it's like, no, like it's, it's not this. You did not become an entrepreneur to work 80 hours a week. That was not the objective. That's not why you did it. Like if you want to do that, you can go work for somebody else. So that's kind of where my, my passion comes from. Yeah. And what kind of businesses do you, do you guys, um, work with a lot of the times because it sounds like a lot of them are service businesses right yeah they are they are they are primary service-based businesses so um like our current clients we've got business coaches we've got health coaches we've got mindset coaches we've got consultants um hr consultants um people who um technology solutions so like it solutions um, like going through the list in my head of the people that we've recently started, which we have some attorneys that we work with um, and things like that. So they're all service-based businesses, but they, again, they all run primarily online and they all primarily the business owner is the face, right? Like Andre was saying, they're the person who you see on social media. They're the, you know, the Instagram live, they're the LinkedIn live, they're the, the face of the company. Um, those wind up being the majority of our people. Right? Lots of, lots of good stuff there especially in regards when you were talking about building a sales team um in the mortgage industry and i don't know if this is just in any organization but i think that's one of the things that 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 like top salesperson doesn't understand is that they have to do every they feel like they're the only ones who can do everything they feel like they have to do everything um and really luckily megan and i um in 2015 we we found a coach who was like if you want to take a vacation you need to start hiring people. If you want to get to X level of success, you have to start Mm -hmm. hiring people. So I love that that's your passion because Megan and I also try to instill that in our top salespeople. Like, look, you're doing really well, but if you want to get to the next level, you're going to have to hire somebody. So I Mm -hmm. love that that you're hitting on that topic. But Megan and I have also certainly had some some bumps in the road as far as like hiring the right people or the wrong people or um, directly on our sales team. So what are some of the mistakes that you see companies when they are hiring for their, you know, mm-hmm. for their own sales team? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, mis- I think that, you know, we use the word mistake and I think that's part of, part of it. Like I see people, they'll hire like one or two salespeople and they'll be like, I'm done here. And I'm like, how many like bad <laughs> clients, how many bad clients did you take on in the beginning though? Where you were like, I should have never said yes to that guy. I knew yeah. how this was going to go. <laughs> like it's the same yeah. thing, you know? Um, yeah. So I think it's some of the things that, that Megan had asked about before. First and foremost is depending too much upon experience to be the driver of, of sales success. So hiring for experience instead of hiring for culture, hiring for attitude, hiring for fit, hiring for mission, vision, and values, and just focusing on, well, this person has sold before. So that's a big one. Um, and one we really work with our clients on is understanding you know, your mission and vision and finding somebody else that you can enroll in that mission and vision. Um, Cause it's like we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, right? Anybody can be motivated in the right way, but they're going to be motivated for their reasons, not yours. And you've got to find somebody who aligns in that way. Um, so I think we get so stuck on like, well, I need the person with the experience instead of really going like with our gut and trusting our gut and our heart to, to make those decisions. Um, I think that's a big one. Another one is not having the training and the resources in place, not knowing what that onboarding process should look like. Um, not having metrics and KPIs set up for your salespeople. Um, you know, just again, kind of hoping and praying that it works out the way that it's supposed to. Um, and then the final one is that we make sales training an event. And I love that you guys are training your salespeople. I think that's amazing because so many people that we talk to, they aren't, or like it's part of new hire training. Like, oh, yeah, no, they went through our sales training process. It was like on the first week in the job. I was like, they didn't know where the bathroom was the first week in the job. <laughs> like, you can't, that's not enough, you know? So understanding that sales is a skill. Um, sales is a muscle. It's like anything else. Like we have to, you know, Megan, you're, you're an athlete. You get this. Like you have to do the reps, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like the reason that, you know, professional athletes can hit a free throw in high pressure situations is because they've done it so many times to where they just have the muscle memory. And and we don't do that because as business owners, like Megan said, you're entrepreneurial minded. Our brains don't work that way. Like we just go and we just go and do, and it's, it's our thing. It's our baby. And we expect the people around us to do the same instead of being like, no, this is not their baby. Like we have to develop those muscles with them and for them. And I see a lot of people get frustrated because we're not doing the reps. We're not running the drills. We're not practicing. And then we're frustrated that we're not. Yeah. And and we do do, we do do sales training, but I think after this conversation, we can still do a better job because you know, what works for me might not work for some of our people. And and mm-hmm. I think that's what I'm sitting here picturing is, hey, this person who's doing really well, it's because that person's very similar to my personality. The other person is really similar maybe to Andre's, but we have other types of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just, that's something that is standing out to us. And um, even our, in, like we have inside sales, we have outside mm-hmm. sales. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much we have really taught on the social selling part, but besides a a few pieces, um, you know, Andre, what, what works for you, but I I can't even, I can't even think through like (laughs) online. Like it's, that's horror. I mean, that's just me, but if my job depended on it, I would literally have to live, breathe and sleep listening to stuff to try to figure it out because Uh it's not natural for me. Right. Yeah. Um, you're just hitting all the hot buttons because we just understand so much of what you're saying, especially yeah. like the mission and the vision. Um, we, we've been in business for, uh, six years or so, but we really just outlined those. And so now we're, you know, when we bring people on, we're like, this is our mission. This is our vision. These are our values. Do you understand these? And, you know, you're going to be let go if, if it, you know, three months down the road, you're not following these things. So I love that you're saying those things. And so now that we talked about, um, you know, what are some, uh, we'll call them learning curves about when hiring salespeople. Um, and you touched a little bit, of, uh, on it before in regards to, you know, what makes a great salesperson? Cause there's, right. there's definitely not one thing that makes a great right. salesperson, right? You can't just go to the disc and say, okay, you're going to be a great because you're D. Um, so what are, what are some things that you would say that you, you know, if somebody who is hiring for internal sales, what are some things that, you know, they could look for or that you've seen consistently that do make a great salesperson? Yeah. So it's so funny because the way you described like the job description, Andre, that you would love, like somebody who's passionate, somebody who loves people, <laughs> like that's it, you know, like, are they passionate? Do they love people? Especially like if they're going to leverage social media, do they like social media? Like, and do they get what that means to be a social seller? Like my team lives on social media. Like they live it, they eat it, they breathe it, they live in their DMs. Like they live on social media. Can you handle that? Like that those yes, things are important. Yes. This for her people, like Megan's face right now, she's like, no, that sounds terrible, right? Like you want to make sure. No, if I can get good at it, I, I think I could adjust, right? Like being a mom with four kids, like life has changed. Right, right, right. Um, but you know, understanding those things, understand like I always look for competitive. If it were allowed, I would only hire athletes. I think that's against the rules, but um, I think the competitive, like being competitive is important, not in a negative way. And again, not to use too masculine of a term, but like, you know, some days you're, you're, you know, you're racing yourself, right? Like you're only have to be better than the person you were yesterday, not the person next to you. Um, and you need somebody that has that motivation, that drive, somebody who's a self-starter. We use the term intrapreneur a lot, which mm-hmm. is just designed to mean somebody with an entrepreneurial spirit that wants to work inside of an organization. So that's really what we're mm-hmm. looking for. Like, we tell our salespeople, you're the CEO of your desk. Like, how does that feel? What do you do? Like, how do you motivate yourself? How do you get yourself out of a slump? And like really asking those types of questions, I feel like is very, very important. Um, and then I do think, and again, if you work into a corporate environment, this won't apply, but going with your gut, like it is okay to just be like, no, I really liked that person. And I felt like we really connected and they really understood us. And they, they can live on social media or on the phone or wherever you want them living. And they can do those things because sales is about likability right? It's the no like and trust factor. It's the most cliche thing anybody's ever said about sales. Can they build relationships? Can they make people trust them? And um, can they build that trust in a genuine way? And that starts in the interview process. So again, I think people get stuck and like, they're looking for 
somebody who's like a fast talker and an extrovert or somebody who's really gregarious. I'm like, none of those things are mandatory, right? Like, do they see value in the work that you're doing? Are they aligned in, in the mission and the vision and the values? Are they committed to showing up on the days when it's hard? Do they understand that this is not the easiest job in the world? Do, are they okay with that? Like, those are the questions I'm asking. I'm not so much looking for the loudest person in the room. I'm looking for the person in the room who's the most interested in everybody else. No, and I like that because that's always a hard thing, right? When you own a uh -huh. business is, you know, in a business and bringing salespeople on, you're like, okay, I want to bring people on. I liked how you said that entre entrepreneurs, entrepreneur, yeah. because, uh -huh. you know, the, you want people who want to be there. We understand people aren't going to be with us forever sometimes, but right. you know, not somebody who's going to come on and, you know, then leave that it's a short term objective, you know, but more to come in and build up this company. And, you know, we have roles as business owners on mm -hmm. making a place that people want to stay at by yep. what we do and how we do it and the reason behind it. What would you say? And I know you just talked about the questions you'd ask, but what do you find people who are intrapreneurs? Um, what do you find are some of the things that they say or how to identify people like that? Because a lot of business owners, you're right. That's what they're going to want to look for. Yeah. I like people that have ideas, mm. like someone that's like, oh, you know, like put them in a situation. How would you handle this? Mm. Right. You know, if you were in my shoes, if you were the CEO of this business, what are the opportunities that you see? Right. What would you be most excited about? Like put them in the role um, mm. from a, you know, a situational standpoint and see if they can think critically. Right. Because that's what being an entrepreneur is about. Right. We have to be able to think critically and not just to respond to what's coming at us. And so I'm looking for those critical thinking skills. Um, you know, I like to ask questions around, you know, where they want to be in five years, you know, like, because again, as entrepreneurs, we tend to be more visionary, like, can they get there in their head? Do they know what they want? Do they know what they're working for? Um, those types of things just seem to always really ring true to me. Um, people that have ideas, people that are excited about the future, people that can vision cast what they want and need versus the person who's like, oh, I don't look past next week. You know, mm -hmm. like to me, that's always a little bit of a red flag. <laughs> and a salesperson, you know, like I was like factoring my commission check for like six months in advance so I could, you know, win the trip and do this thing. Like I was not like, well, I hope I hit quota this month. Like that's never where I was, right? It's, I once listened to something and I'm so sorry about the athlete references. I can't help myself. But how Kobe Bryant once said that like, I'm not practicing for Saturday's game. Like I'm practicing for the championship. Like that's what mm -hmm. I'm doing here. And so that to me is what I was looking for. Somebody looking at the big picture. And that, and you know what? And correct me if I'm wrong. So the, because Andre and I have had this conversation a ton of times together on how to work with our people and who is the right person coming in. And so when we started noticing the discs were different and like we have one specific salesperson because it was what we were taught when this person came in very quickly came to us and said, I want to do sales. And we literally said to this person, we will support you. We will give you all the training. You know, that's what we're here for. But, you know, in our experience, someone who has your different personality type, it can be really challenging. Like you, it might be a hard thing for you because we're very forward and transparent with our people and this person's killing it. Right. And so we started going back and saying, all right, so maybe it's not this, like, you know, trying to figure it out, like who makes that right move? Because we want people who it's going to be a good move for them and for us. And so we started noticing a lot of times it was people too that were driven. Maybe I don't know if it's one of their values or one of their things that are important to them, but they really want to earn more. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Do you find that's part of it too? Absolutely. I think money motivated is a huge part of it, but it's not the only part. And I do think that we have a tendency to sell jo sales jobs based on money. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another reason why, Megan, to your very first question about women, um, that that is part of the reason why, again, we, mm -hmm. not as many women, because there's a lot of drama with women and money and all the things. Um, but I mean, a money motivated absolutely needs to be part of of the process, but also understanding that that means something different. And I can, to everyone, like I can give you an example I was running a sales contest when I was in the corporate world and I made the prize $500 cash because that's what I would have wanted, right? I'm like, just mm -hmm. give me the cash. Nobody cared. They were like, yeah, 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 whatever. I gave them the choice of a Garmin watch or something else. It was like a watch or something else. They like, they loved it. They were so excited about it. So not mistaking money motivated as just cash in the bank, but like money motivated by, is it, is it things? Is it, 
travel? Mm-hmm. Is it time? Mm-hmm. Is it time off? Like those things all circle money, but like they're they're not always currency in the form of cash exchanged. So like those values. Wow. And Andrew, we talk about this all the this time. I'm like, I don't like giving cash. I like picking things because uh-huh. not everyone so when they get money will go buy this. So having the ability to uh-huh. clean it through how you work. Well, even on the disc test, Megan and I always look at, are you money motivated? But, um, and this is one of the reasons we love to talk to just all sorts of people in all different industries, because you get so many different perspectives and ideas and how to look at things. And I, you know, the thing that you said, you know, I don't know that I've been money motivated, right? But I'm definitely motivated by like, I love to travel. I love to make sure my family is well taken care of. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like those things are important to me, but yeah, just you, you just gave me such a different perspective of how to look at that now because, you know, one salesperson who's like, you know, I would be good with making like 60 to 80K. And I'm like, to me, I'm like, that probably to them is enough to travel, to take mm-hmm. care of their family, to, you know, do the, just the normal everyday things. They don't want a life above and beyond anything crazy. And, and that's okay because some people don't want to handle that. So I think um, in interviews, I'm going to need to start asking different questions like, okay, does 100K in the bank excite you? Maybe not, but... How about a trip to Paris? How about, you know, like with friends or like, that's such a different perspective. And I, or a private school education for your kids or the neighborhood that you live in, or, you know, whatever the case may be, everybody's money motivated. It's what are they going to do with the money? Right. It's not always just the cash. Um, I think that's important. And what you just said something and it kind of made me think, I also often think some people talk about what they would be happy with. It also has a lot to do with what they think is possible because I remember guys when I was still in my full-time job, I was pregnant. I was trying to get out as quickly as possible. All I needed to do was replace my my income, which at the time was like 120 grand. And I remember watching other people and like, I was like, I don't, I don't even care about like your million dollar, like, just get me the hell out of this job. (laughs) And then once I got there, I was like, oh, okay. And then it just kind of became, and then it went from like, no, we're building an empire, but that happened over the course of like two months. It took me two years to figure out that like I wanted to make more than $130,000. And then it took me like three months to be like, no, we're, we're going to, we're going to do this thing. Yeah. So I often think too, sometimes Andre is when people say 60 to 80 is good. Is that because that's all that they think is possible? Is that their operating reality? Yeah. yeah. And, and when you're only make when you're making a certain amount, when we first yeah. started coaching, they had to start writing down our, like our numbers, our wish number. Right. I couldn't write over a certain amount. Like yeah. I think, when I was an employee, the most I had made similar to you was around that $120,000 mark, which is still great income, right? Of course. But like, I remember the coach saying to me, like, why is your number on there only, you know, 20000 a month? I'm like, because that's insane. <laughs> like, that is insane. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I think I'm really stretching here. Yeah. Holy crap. Yes. Like, you're right. And because... You know, I know my parents did really well. I, I know they did. My dad owned a business. I have no clue how much he made because nobody talks about it with right. him. Right. Nobody does. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love talking about it. And I, I love empowering women to do it. Like when you ask me, like, what's the passion? It's also about empowering women to make money and be proud of the money that they make. Um, you know, my husband stays home with our kids. Mm-hmm. And um, I sometimes still to this day, I'm like, I wonder what people think. You know, like, you know, one day he was like, I don't have anything to do this afternoon. I'm going to go hit golf balls. And I was like, lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you it's, 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 so, it's so true. And it, my husband doesn't completely stay home, but he is more of the caregiver. Um, right. He owns a business that's ahead of ours by a number of years. So he has more flexibility than we currently do as we're building. Um, right. But it's always been a dream of mine since we've been married for 17 years. And mm-hmm. um, the I made him sell this car when the first year we got married because it was a stupid purchase at that time. We weren't making great money. Made him sell it. And my goal was I'm going to buy him one this car, like an upgrade to this car. And um, by the time he turns 40 and I missed it by a year or two. But uh, a couple months ago, I bought him this white convertible Audi a something. I don't even know what it is. And it was such a huge moment for me. But but I, I still haven't posted on social. I still haven't. Be mm-hmm. That's what I said, Ryan. I was like, because I'm do that I'm to raining. empower people not. Yes, to boost about I know. And I, so I really need help with this because mm-hmm. because here's here's the end of the story. I get a phone call yesterday because on 
Friday, Saturday night, my oldest is 13 and her and her friend needed me to drive them over to where they were meeting up with this little gaggle of boys. And, um, it's my car, but I gave it to my husband. So he's the one who drives it everywhere. I'm like, let's go in the convertible. And we get in the convertible and I'm like, my daughter's like, don't put the top down. I'm so embarrassed. I'm like, why are you embarrassed? We're taking the convertible. And she's like, She's like, because it's kind of like we're flexing, right? And, and I'm being dead honest here with this conversation. And I'm like, Mackenzie, I'm like, I am not flexing. I've worked for 15 years and I have worked my ass off and I bought it because it's important to him. And it it was something I set a goal to do. It's not like I did it before I should have done it. It's not like, like, this is one of the first big purchases I've made. And I understand that because I haven't even posted it. I said, but it's my car. I go, it's not even your dad's. I'm like, it's my car. As a woman, I bought this car and I could have bought it in cash if I wanted to. So I get a phone call yesterday from the mom of the other girl who was with us having this whole conversation. And she was like, hey, I just want to call you because you really had an impact on my daughter. And I'm like, what? And she's like, did you drive her in the convertible over to? I'm like, yeah. She goes, she was telling me how it's your car and you earned it. And as a woman and, it, and I'm like, and she's like, and it really, she couldn't stop talking about it. I love that. And I'm I like, love that, Meg. It, right. Like, and, and it's why we just, I mean, not just with women, our own age, but with younger oh. women, like uh-huh. they need to see us owning businesses. They need to see us earning good money because otherwise they don't even think about it. They don't take the first step. And like me, who I am a risk taker. I am a high D. My husband walked into my first company and it told the owner, not me, that I was going commission and I had to get fired to start my own business, like, which is ridiculous. So I just think there's so much more work we have to do around this topic. And it's just something, you know, I as well feel really strongly about. Yeah, for sure. I love that story. I think that's so cool. I was like, oh gosh, what's this girl's mom going to say? But I love her (laughs) about it. She was excited about it. Like that, that to me would have been two social media posts. It I know, original, I know. It would have been the original post. The original post. Yep. In your driveway. <laughs> yes. I need help. Yes. I need help with social. Oh. I understand that. I need help writing them because either, you know me, Andre, the post would be so long, no one would read it or, or like, <laughs> that's my problem. No, definitely uh. need to get you some help on that. <laughs> well, look who we're talking to. <laughs> Social content's always my jam. And like, I have to be totally honest before we wrap this thing up. We recently bought a new car as well, and it has not. See? <laughs> Ryan. But things are changing, right? We have to get used to social and find ways. And, and, that, and I understand that. And it doesn't matter that I was raised not to put it on there. You're right. You need to do it to empower other people. And I guess it's finding your words on how to say it that way. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it was, I guess, it's been over a month now. And yeah, I didn't tell anybody. And like, we pulled up somewhere and someone's like, this is new. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I didn't see it on social. I was like, I don't, I don't want social. They're like, why not? I'm like, because I'm an idiot. And I, <laughs> like, I, I waited six months for this car. I made a deposit on this car in March. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, don't touch it. Don't breathe on it. Don't get it dirty. <laughs> oh my gosh. And kind of before we close out, I guess I want to bring it back to you and your business because, like you said, you didn't plan to be an entrepreneur. You uh-huh. didn't. And I see that a lot. Right. And so for just women listening uh-huh. who have are sitting there, whatever they're doing. And now I know you can start a business doing whatever you're good at. And that's a hard thing for people to understand. Uh-huh. Um, but for women listening who have thought about it, you know, how has that experience been for you? How, what has it done to your income? What has it done to your confidence? And, mm-hmm. and what would you tell other women who are listening? Um, that's an excellent question. I mean, income wise, I mean, it's changed the game for us. Like we're talking mm-hmm. like total generational change um, for us, lifestyle, where we live, like my, my husband's opportunity to be home and be the primary caregiver mm-hmm. with the kids. Um, you know, my kids are little, so we haven't had to tackle private school, but if we want to, we can. Um, so for us, it's been a total game changer. Um, but for my confidence and for just like the identity shift, I do finally feel like I did well in my career, right? Like you said, $130,000 was nothing to sneeze at, but I always felt like I was missing something. And for me, this is the missing thing. Like 
being a visionary, really living outside of the box that we are put in. I think this is men and women. I think men actually almost have more pressure than women to, to climb the ladder in a specific way, do the things, graduate college, get a job, get a degree, get married, house, white picket fence, da, 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 mm-hmm. um, and just be like, screw it, do it your own way. So if there is just any doubt in the back of your mind of, can I do this? Like the answer is yes. Like you've seen that meme everywhere. There's, there's people people less qualified than you, like doing the thing because they believe that they can. And I think that that is so, so, so very true. It is so true. I mean, I've seen teachers who create a course around what they teach, like right. take off. It's crazy. It's just, yeah. it's, it's insane. And it's, it's even been hard for us as we've created some other businesses. So mm-hmm. it is interesting. So I love hearing, you know, that you left a job that you were doing so well and opened a business mm-hmm. and how well it obviously is doing. And I think that there is a big need for women teaching sales roles and sales Mm. techniques because there's not enough people out there doing it. I think that's what got me started, Dre. I was trying to find podcasts and I put like sales podcasts in um, Google and it popped up and it was like the top 20, the top 50. And there was no women. No women. Yeah. I remember we talked about that. Go to Amazon and look for sales books. Also no women. Um, so speaking of women, Ryan, as we are wrapping up here, where can these women find you so you can empower them and help them? Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? How can they contact you? How can they reach you? Yeah. Thank you. Um, so our website is daily sales on demand for CEOs.com. That's the best place to just get information about the academy, about what we do. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at social sellers academy. Um, I am an open and avid networker on LinkedIn. It's Ryan with two N's Dowdy. You can send me a connection request. Um, I love meeting people. I love talking to people. Um, I love solving business problems. So I, I always tell people I'm just a very open networker. So um, wherever you want to connect, I am easy to find. Um, you will be getting a, a request on Instagram and on LinkedIn because I'm that social person. So, um, <laughs> and right I will this- too. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, I'll never be on there, but I'll, I'll follow you. I promise. <laughs> No. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope all of you listening can really get some ideas on how important sales is and and just some, I mean, this gave us, and this is why you should always look outside of your industry, not just in your industry. You need new ideas. You need to hear new things. It's how you get better. It's how you grow. Um, So, you know, go connect with Ryan. And um, if you don't have a sales program, I would be checking it out. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. Hey, collaborators. I just wanted to say I appreciate any and all of you out there who have joined Andre and I on this journey and sharing just the lessons and the people we've met along the way. And it would mean the world to us if you would hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, and more than anything, getting some feedback from any of you that are starting a business, if you have a business and you have questions or needs or a specialty you want to share, you can reach out to us on our website at thecolablife.com and our Instagram handle as well, thecolablife. You can also find us on Facebook or YouTube at The Colab. And you can email us at hello at thecolablife.com. Thanks again for joining us and stay tuned next week.